Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 21, verses 28 through 36. And I'm going to have to give the same uh, reminder this week that I gave last week before reading this section of Exodus, and that is uh, a reminder of what Jesus said in Matthew in chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Do not think uh, that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And this is very important for us. It means that the whole of the Old Testament still has meaning for us, but only as it comes through Jesus who has fulfilled it. And so when we are reading in the Old Testament, we always have to be asking, especially when we're looking at uh, the laws for the people of uh, for the Hebrew people um, back then, how does this apply to us by way of Jesus? And so if we're ever taking, this is what I always say, if we're ever taking something from the Old Testament, Applying it to us today without going through Jesus first, we're probably misapplying it. <laughs> we're always asking the question, how does this uh, come to us through Jesus? How does he fulfill this for us? And then what does it mean to us? Uh, with that in mind, Exodus chapter 21, verses 28 through 36. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. And God, we do ask that you would help us as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning, to be those who have ears to hear, minds to think, and hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives, to be changed even more today into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is uh, Exodus chapter 21. This is uh, when uh, God is giving these laws to Moses for the Hebrew people as they have come out of slavery in Egypt and are getting ready to live a different way with uh, God saying, I am going to be your God and you will be my people. Here's what it says. It says, if a bull gores a man or woman to death, I should have warned you, it gets a little graphic. If a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death and its meat must not be eaten. But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring and the owner has been warned but has not kept it pinned up and it kills a man or woman, the bull is to be stoned and its owner also is to be put to death. However, if payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. This law also applies if the bull gores a son or daughter. If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave and the bull is to be stoned to death. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. If anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, if it was known that the bull had the habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it pinned up, the owner must pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. Now you know. Our gospel reading this morning is from Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. This is in the early days of Jesus' ministry, and starting in verse 38 of chapter 4, it says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. 
Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. We are uh, continuing in um, our series in the book of 1 Corinthians this morning, and uh, this has been a particularly awkward section in the book of 1 Corinthians, and today will be no exception. Just going to get that out there ahead of time. (laughs) Uh, In this particular section, we have been looking at, uh, you know, Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth, and we've talked about how Corinth... uh, kind of had that vibe of what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, that kind of thing. And um, and yet there was a church that had started there where people were trying to live as those who are following Jesus together. And that was very different than the way that the rest of the surrounding culture was living. And so then the question is, how do we as Christians live in a culture that is not following Jesus? And so as we've been going through this, we've been seeing that the, the people who are trying to follow Jesus are still being very influenced by the way that the rest of the culture is working. And so we saw early on that there was a lot of um, choosing uh, one person to follow over against someone else. And so, oh, one person follows, oh, I follow Paul. No, I follow uh, Apollos. No, I follow Peter. No, I follow Jesus. It's like, what are we doing? That's not how this, that's the way the rest of the world works. We divide over, you know, the rest of the world divides over that kind of stuff. But we as Christians, no, 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 no. Paul and Apollos and Peter are all working together <laughs> as a part of the same team, as a part of everybody trying to follow Jesus together. And so um, this is one of the things that divisions between uh, in, in the body of Christ is what he was dealing with first. And then he moves on and starts dealing with uh, the issue of sex. And that's why things have been awkward the last several weeks. But it's something that's important to address, and especially in a community where they're trying to follow Jesus and the rest of the culture isn't. (laughs) And so there's going to be a difference in the way that they approach this topic. And so that's um, where we come again this morning is uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, we kind of started there a little earlier uh, today, though. We kind of get to wrap that up and we'll get to other topics, I promise, in the days to come. Um, but picking up where he left off, in verse 25, he says, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I, give a, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. 
What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Wow, right? Now, <laughs> now you know exactly what to do with the rest of your life. Yeah? No? I don't know. Uh, it's kind of a weird passage, isn't it? Like, what, <laughs> what is it that seems to be the clear instruction from this? Are people supposed to get married or not get married? What, what do you think? <laughs> you made it confusing, right? Sometimes are people to get married? Sometimes are they not to get married? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Don't we kind of expect that... Uh, that what we will get is a very clear instruction, like here is the law. This is the one-size-fits-all for everybody for all time. Do this. There you go. And we kind of look for that, don't we? What am I supposed to do? And so we open the Bible and we search for a, a verse where it says, do this. And we're like, okay, now I know what to do. And then we get to a passage like this, and he's like, you know what? There are some factors to consider here. That in your life as... Uh, people who have been set free <laughs> from slavery to sin and death, who have been set free from the old law, it's not, the new law is not like the old law. And in fact, one of the things that we get here is a, um, a way in which we are to live as people who are following Jesus. And that's even going to look different from person to person as we, by scripture, prayer, uh, advice of other wise Christians, uh, by using the mind that God has given us, that uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we discern what is good and right in the situation. And this is what we actually see Paul doing here and wrestling with in this, uh, this whole string of things that he's been going through. And he's like, okay, now when it comes to this particular topic, when it comes to virgins... Are they supposed to get married? It's like, I don't, Jesus didn't say. That's what this first part is. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, 
but, he says, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. And so he says, here I am, and the, the way he ends that part is, uh, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. That he is trying to make a good and wise, uh, give good and wise counsel to the church in Corinth instead of giving a new legalistic law to be followed. And that's why when we get to the end of it, and the question is, should people get married or not? It's not a yes, absolutely all the time, or no, absolutely not. But he even says in you know, one place, um, you know, if you do this, that's right. If you do this, that's better. And you're like, how can you do better than right, Paul? <laughs> Isn't right as good as it gets? But there are some things that are more fitting to the situation. And the situation that they're facing at this time is there's actually a, a famine in the land. There's not enough food to go around, and people are experiencing hardship. There's also a difficulty that Paul has been facing in persecution of Christians. There's a hardship. And there, the way that we live during times of hardship, the decisions we make, maybe ought to include that those are the factors that we're facing. And so he says, are things going to be more difficult for you if you are married in, the, in this situation than if you're unmarried? He's like, yeah, they are. Does that mean it's wrong to get married? No, not at all. Go ahead. And so we don't get the one-size-fits-all, legalistic, here's the law for everybody at all times. Instead, what we get is this um, encouragement for wisdom, to live with wisdom. We see this uh, same kind of thing as you look at uh, the book of Proverbs, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but there are Proverbs that actually say kind of the opposite things. And you're like, well, which one is the rule? And the answer is, neither one is the rule. They're both Proverbs. (laughs) And sometimes this is the one we need to follow, and sometimes this is the one we need to follow. And how do you know the difference? Wisdom. And that's what the whole book is about. And so what we see with Paul here is he's working, helping us to see how he works through these kinds of questions. What does it mean um, to follow the Lord faithfully at this time, in this place, in these ways? And it's not all going to look the same for everybody. And so he gives some, you know, well, if, if you're in this situation, you do this. If you're in this situation, you do this. Um, and so he's got this, uh, you know, if, if, he's wor- if anyone's worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, if his passions are too strong, he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. This, by the way, is like the only place in the Bible that ever says you should do what you want. <laughs> right? But why is he saying that they should do what they want here? Because what they want is actually a good thing. And so he says uh, he should do as he wants. He's not, he's not sinning. Why does Paul have to bring this up? Because we're really good at taking something that is good for one person and making it the law for everybody. You ever see that play out? You ever been the one to do this to somebody else? <laughs> you ever felt like it's been done to you? We're really good at this. And so we take something uh, and we say, you know, if, 
We looked last week at, uh, early in this chapter, where he's saying, you know, circumcision or uncircumcision or being a slave or not being a slave and how you can be a real Christian in whatever those situations are. And so we see the same kind of thing here when it comes to being married or not married. And uh, yet, it is amazing how much the church kind of has, today anyway, has uh, sort of perpetuated the idea that if you want to be a real Christian, you get married at this age and you have this many kids and you live uh, in these places and you have these kinds of jobs and you vote this kind of way and you belong to this sort of order. We have this whole list. It's like that's what it means to be a real Christian. And if you don't fit in that, you're not really a Christian. And Paul is saying, no, that's not right at all. In fact, there's a wide variety of life experiences. You can be a slave and be a real Christian. You can be not a slave. You can be circumcised. You can not be circumcised. You can be married. You can not be married. And you've got all of these uh, categories. And he's like, that stuff is not what makes you a Christian or not. What makes you a Christian is that you are actually seeking to live your life following Jesus in whatever situation you're in. And so if you are in Corinth and you are experiencing famine and you're experiencing persecution and you're trying to decide whether you get married, take these factors into consideration and realize that to get married, great. To not get married, great. Pick one. (laughs) And neither one of those is going to be uh, the right answer or uh, or sin that is keeping you from God. However, that doesn't mean that anything goes either. I don't know if you noticed that. (laughs) But even when he's given the instructions to widows and says, okay, yeah, you can remarry. He says a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Did you catch that? I don't know if you noticed, but earlier he had uh, talked about someone who, say you're married and... um, and your spouse, like, when you got married, neither one was Christian. Then you become a Christian, but your spouse doesn't. It's like, oh, do I have to leave him? And he's like, no, you don't. You stay. Now, if they leave you, then you let them go. Don't make them stay. But now he says, okay, well, so what about then somebody has been married, their spouse has died, and now they go to get married again. You're a Christian. What do you do? And he says, well, you can get married. That's fine. Just make sure you marry a Christian. <laughs> like at that point, there is a difference. And, um, and so it's not an anything goes kind of deal. It, this, the whole idea is living with wisdom as people who have been um, redeemed by Jesus. This is uh, on the heels of chapter 6 where he said, you quoting what the Corinthians were saying, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then in verse 19 of chapter 6, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so as we are looking at, well, what is the right choice to make? in a particular situation. This is what he's going by. It's not the anything goes of the Corinthian culture. It's the you're not your own, you're bought at a price, and now make your decisions accordingly. Make your decisions 
uh, realizing that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Which means there ought to be God-given wisdom um, through the Holy Spirit in the ways uh, that we live as the people of Jesus. What it doesn't mean is that we need to uh, get really stressed out about every decision as though if I make this step, that means I'm lost forever. If I make this step, that means I'm not a real Christian. And it's like, hold on. There's a lot of different ways we can do this. Um, keep in mind, in verse 35. Verse 35, he's going through all this. And he says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That's what this is all about. Undivided devotion to the Lord. We talked a few weeks ago about uh, the idea of uh, the whole point is to stay on the path. You know, Jesus has said, uh, this is Matthew chapter 7. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And we talked about how the whole point is to stay on that narrow path, right? We're supposed to stay on the path. However, uh, what we tend to do is say there's there's only one uh, way to stay on that path. That's not really what we see. So if we think about it uh, in terms of like a road, uh, talking about like a mountain road, you can go off one side, you crash into the mountain, you go off the other side, you know, you fall off the cliff. And, uh, and so the idea is you stay on the path. But can you imagine people getting into arguments over whether you have to uh, ride a motorcycle on the path or a station wagon or a van or a pickup truck or whatever? It's like that's the argument. No, no, you have to be in one of these kinds of vehicles. It's like, no, actually this road is made for all these different kinds of vehicles. <laughs> Just don't drive off the road. <laughs> Right? And this is what I see Paul saying here is, you know, it may make sense in your situation to drive a station wagon on that road. Have at it. (laughs) It may not make sense at all to drive a station wagon on that road. You may need to, you know, drive a pickup truck. Fine. Have at it. Stay on the road. (laughs) Right? And uh, this is where he's saying not... I'm not saying, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Um, and so all of this, it's a guide for wisdom. It's a guide for living every part of our lives in connection with Jesus. As we're making these decisions, making them prayerfully, making them uh, honestly, and seeking to live uh, in that undivided devotion to the Lord. That is very different, by the way, than the legalism that just looks for the one-size-fits-all rule and says, then that's what it is. It's very different than, uh, <laughs> than realizing it makes a lot of sense for you to drive a station wagon down that road. 
and then telling everybody else, all real Christians have to drive the station wagon down that road. That makes any sense at all. We will see more in light of this as we move forward in this, uh, in this letter. But for now, keep in mind uh, this, what it means to be fully devoted to the Lord. There's one other verse in here that I hope you caught. Talking about um, time being short. We know this life is not all there is. And there is uh, more to come when Jesus returns. And we've got to live in light of that. This is what guides our wisdom as, uh, as we live in this world now. So verse 31, listen to this. Saying that those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. Is it okay to use the things in this world? Yes. But where is the limit? It says you use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. If the things in this world are taking your attention away from the life that God is calling you to, that's a problem, right? And you can probably think of a thousand different things that are just fine to use but are not okay uh, to be controlled by. Again, that line in chapter 6, where he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. It seems like that same kind of idea where he says, you should use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. Remember, the world in its present form is passing away. There is uh, a renewal of the earth that is coming. Let's live now in light of that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.